JC show. We're back here for show number 14 after a bit of a layoff. Uh, my name's TJ. I'm here as always with my co-host JC. JC, what's up, man? I'm excited to be here with you. Good day, everybody. Happy to be back. As TJ said, scheduling conflicts. We've both been really busy, so we got two weeks of sports to recap. NBA is over. We'll probably start there. LeBron earns his fourth title. Lakers take down the Heat in six. What are your thoughts on the series, TJ, and NBA coming to an end? Yeah, this was a really great series, an excellent run by the Miami Heat. I think uh, nobody really gave them the respect or the credit they deserved early on in the season, and nobody, as a result of that, nobody expected them to be there uh, towards the end of the season. So, hell of a run by the Miami Heat. As is usually the case in the NBA, the team who has the more stars is typically going to win. And, I, you know, that's why many expected the Lakers to win, and ultimately uh, they were able to pull it off. So great run by the Heat there to push it to six games. But LeBron and uh, Anthony Davis and company, uh, they just simply weren't going to lose this series. So, yeah, great series. And, uh, of course, on the heels of uh, Kobe Bryant's untimely death earlier this year, uh, the Lakers uh, bring one home for Los Angeles and for their fans. So pretty cool story all around. It's always different with generational players and then compared to good players in each position and all that. So I don't know if there's like a lot of 35-year-old players at LeBron's position, but he looks as good as ever. He looks as strong as ever. Might still be getting better. Might be in his prime, maybe getting close to exiting it, but it's hard to argue that he's not in his prime still. It's probably been like six years of him just being unbelievable. And what was it, like nine years of him being in almost every finals game that's taken place except once in the last nine years since 2011 I think it was so he looks as good as ever I want no one person was tweeting and they were like no disrespect to Dwayne Wade or anyone else that's played alongside LeBron but I think Anthony Davis is like the best compliment ever and Dwayne Wade retweeted it he's like I agree bro it was my first time really seeing Anthony Davis play and he just looks enormous I was telling my wife I was like just look at when he's standing next to somebody like look when is where his knees start and where the person standing next to him begins. He's just, it looks like he's a foot taller the way his body is shaped than everybody on the court. And yeah, these two together are dangerous. The Lakers and Heat will be a destination for free agents. We could see these two go at it again. Of course, Miami, like we just said, is going to be a destination. So they should get a superstar too. And can't wait to watch them next year. Became a big fan of Jimmy Butler in this series. And I've never hated LeBron. I've never really like rooted for him or against him. But I'm happy to see him get a fourth championship. As we said, it's been a lot of championships since 2011, so to only have four, I know that that will be held against him. There's always going to be the com- comparison of Michael Jordan and him. What did Michael Jordan end with? I was I was just a kid. You're you paying attention to basketball later on and probably learn these things, but of course you're younger than me, but yeah. Michael Jordan had six with the Bulls, mm. uh, so this gives LeBron four, which you know compared to six obviously doesn't really stack up but in like NBA Twitter and stuff this is such a like hot button issue the debate between LeBron and MJ and and who's the GOAT and who's this and who's that to me though LeBron's four titles he won two of course with the Heat he came back and he gave Cleveland not not even just the Cavaliers but the city of Cleveland uh, their first title in over 50 years and then to come back and uh, come out to LA now and, and do it with the Lakers so four titles with three different teams so I guess it's kind of up for interpretation whether people think it's more impressive to you know when obviously six is more than four but to win them all with one team or to do more like LeBron has done and sort of uh, go to these three different destinations and bring a winner to each city so yeah for me I mean I'm again 
if I say LeBron's better or if I say uh, Michael Jordan's better, somebody on Twitter is going to clip it and <laughs> hold it against me for the rest of my life. But, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm incredibly impressed by what LeBron's done. Um, as you said, we were, you know, much of Michael Jordan's uh, tenure, I, I wasn't even alive, but towards the end of his Bulls run, I was just a young kid. So uh, I've seen highlights and stuff, and but obviously I, you know, would have loved to see him play in his prime. Um, but, yeah, man, hell of a performance by LeBron. It's just crazy. Like, I, you see people joke on Twitter and stuff like, um, oh, if, uh, if LeBron's career was a person, like, next year he'd be eligible to vote because it's, like, 17 years, you know? Damn. And so it's just when you put it in that context, like, and like you said, I mean, he may not be quite in his prime, but he hasn't slowed down. Mm-hmm. And, like, at 35, I mean, that's a hell of an accomplishment. Yeah, I could, see him, I could easily see him getting two more and tying Jordan's title record, maybe even more than that. So yeah, we'll definitely keep an eye on that. That's going to take years to accomplish. The one thing I was thinking about as you were talking, I remember uh, it's like a team from decades ago. I don't know what team it was. Like a superstar team from like the 70s or something during one of the Warriors title runs was talking about how they could beat the Warriors if like they were in their prime and the Warriors were in their prime and they played together. And Steve Kerr s- sarcastically agreed. He's like, yeah, definitely. Athletes haven't been getting bigger and stronger in the last 40 years. They're, all, they're all the, always the same. So yeah, definitely they could go head to head. And it was obviously total sarcasm. Athletes have gotten bigger. Athletes have gotten stronger. So in that comparison, I mean, you'd have to assume that LeBron is more athletic, all of the above in comparison to uh, 80s Jordan, just the way with diet and exercise and all that's changed. I mean, he's just a different specimen, it looks like. But uh, again, I wouldn't say one's better than the other, but this era is probably harder to play in than Jordan's era. Yeah, no, it's real interesting. I mean, because... uh the game itself uh, has definitely changed and you know in the 90s and certainly in the 80s there was more of an emphasis on play in the front court with you know uh, a lot of power forwards a lot of centers making you know a huge impact on a team of course now it's it's more focused on sort of the stars in the backcourt Steph Curry and the Warriors went a long way towards creating a huge shift within the sport itself and and emphasis toward three-point shooting so it's definitely a, a whole different thing now, for sure. Like we said, you know, incredible performance by the Lakers. Really great job by the Heat, too, to, to even just get there and, and push that Lakers team to six games. Just before we move on, because I know we got to move on here to other topics, I just want to really commend uh, Commissioner Adam Silver and really the entire operation at the NBA uh, that was able to pull off this, this bubble in Orlando and make it work. So... Yeah, man, shout out to everybody involved in that because no serious coronavirus issues or anything like that. So uh, really excellent job by, by Silver and the NBA and the Players Association uh, to, to pull that off. I don't think there's any asterisk next to this. I see some people on Twitter already trying to take it away and say, like, easiest cakewalk to a title ever, but shouldn't even count and shit like that. And it's just, I, I totally disagree. I mean, again, the bubble is no, that's what makes it even harder on the heat. If you're thinking about it from their perspective, it's like, so they were in the bubble the second longest than anybody and, and walked away with nothing. I mean, pride and like accomplishment and getting there and all that, but you played to win the title, of course, and they were in the bubble longer than any other team besides the Lakers and didn't walk away with it. But you had to lock yourself in the bubble like that, stay away from your family, and I don't think there's any asterisks next to this title in a shortened season or anything in the weird circumstances of no fans and no home court advantage, no road games again. I, same with the NHL playoffs. Congratulations on them for just getting through it successfully and health, healthy. 
and congratulations to the Lakers. I don't think you take anything away from this victory. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree, and uh, we, we got to move on here. But just to echo your point, yeah, it, to me it's, yes, there was differences, and yes, the, you know, the season was suspended at one point, and there's all kinds of changes. I, there's absolutely an argument to be made that it was even more difficult to perform as they did in a bubble, being tested every day and being away from their families and just everything that, that comes with being in a really sequestered environment. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think it's fair to, to put an asterisk on those guys. And, you know, just don't take away from their accomplishment like that. Obviously, people on, on the Internet are going to do what they do and uh, try to tear other people down as always, but just a hell of a performance by, by everybody involved there. And then on to the other sport that's coming to an end in the next few weeks. I don't know how much more we'll touch on it. We'll probably just touch on it lightly like we did with the the hockey Stanley Cup finals when it came to that point it's like two teams we weren't really rooting for paying attention to got in there and we watched the scoreboard and updated lightly here and there and we're back at we're at that point with the MLB as well with the A's getting eliminated and the Padres getting eliminated we were talking about both those teams last time A's got over the hump Padres were fun to watch both are gone I don't know if there's anything to care about with the MLB going forward we, we have the Dodgers game on in the background they're smashing the Atlanta Braves, but the Braves lead the series 2-0, so we'll see where it goes. We'll, of course, update, but we're not going to really go into players and headlines much more with baseball, I imagine. How do you feel about it? Yeah, no, I, I agree, and um, as you said, we we alluded to it in our last episode. Uh, we had two teams that sort of each of us were following and rooting for, um, and both of those teams now, the A's and the San Diego Padres, have both been eliminated. Uh, for me personally, I'm not a Dodger fan, but the Dodgers are the biggest rival of the Giants, and so I'm kind of a Dodger fan by association. Like, <laughs> like I like the Dodgers because they're you know because I don't like the Giants type thing. Yeah, yeah. But then just from like a pure baseball standpoint, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, man, they're they're one of the funnest teams to watch. They pull it off in weird ways. They're they're like the A's. They're a low budget team. They 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 don't spend money on the roster. That no fans, you know, even before the pandemic, they couldn't draw fans. They'd play in empty stadiums. You know, they're in the ALCS this year, and they're uh, one win away from the World Series. So they're a fun team to watch. But, yeah, no, I agree. Uh, we're, we're not going to get too much into baseball. Part of the reason for that, these shows, we, we record them when we can, and they take time to produce. And uh, baseball this year, they're no days off in these series. They're, you know, if, if it's a seven-game series, they're playing seven games, you know, as many as seven games um, in seven days. And, I mean, to be quite honest, we, we aren't able to keep up with that. So, yeah, I think it's cool to, to throw in some commentary here and there, but we're not going to cover baseball uh, like we would, you know, say the NFL, for example. So, yeah, that's that with those sports. Hockey concluded. The next season is beginning. The draft happened. Free agency is happening. We'll update on some free agency signings here and there with NHL. MLB, same thing when they get to that point, and then NBA has a draft coming up, free agency is coming up, we'll see. And then, yeah, so moving forward, it's going to be a lot of heavy NFL and UFC. Let's jump into the NFL. we got two weeks to recap. Some coaches are gone. Where do you want to start? Yeah, JC, so uh, going back here in time a little bit, uh, the first coach to get fired was for the, I believe they were 0-4 at the time, yeah. uh, the 0-4 Houston Texans fired Bill O'Brien, who was not only their head coach, uh, this is notable because he was also their GM. So, you know, you could say that's that's a huge change. There's no way around it. They're, 
anytime you fire a head coach is a big deal. To fire a head coach who's uh, serving in both capacities, who also acts as the GM, that's just a monumental change. Uh, the irony here, of course, is after they, they fire him, uh, they go out and get their first win. So that's good for the Houston Texans to, to go out and get a win. I'm a big fan of J.J. Watt, like Deshaun Watson. Um, but yeah, let's let's dig into this here because there's some definitely some drama surrounding this. Uh, J.J. Watt was reportedly clashing with Bill O'Brien many times leading up to his firing. And what are your thoughts on this? Because this seemed like it, it was early in the season, but at the same time, it, it had to happen. So I feel like they got rid of their general manager last year, and maybe it was the year before that, and it wasn't really clear how much power Bill O'Brien had until that Tunsil trade came in. It's the beginning of the season. Deshaun Watson is poorly protected. I know they had to get rid of one offensive lineman the year before that. I think he was upset with the owner when he was still alive, doing all the whole prisoners running the show or whatever comment he made. So I think he was upset about that and some other things and forced his way out. They needed a defensive lineman, and he trades two first-round picks and I think a second-round pick to the Dolphins for Hunsell, a left tackle. And then the year continues. They make it to the playoffs, but Watson's still getting hit a lot. I mean, it, it takes a lot to build an offensive, a good offensive line. The left side isn't enough. But yeah, so they're down two first-round picks, a second-round pick. They got the left tackle that they have to. Like we talked about before, when you trade two first-round picks, you make that player the highest paid at their position. You have to to keep them. You don't you don't rent somebody for two first-round picks. So they got this massive contract for Tunsil. And that's not such a bad thing. I mean, they go to the playoffs. They lose to the Chiefs in the playoffs. They're down two first-round picks, but they look like a promising team. And then it just... this It, it has to be at this point that things start to unravel. And this offseason... When you hear the thing, the news come in that DeAndre Hopkins been, has been traded for a second-round pick and a contract dump running back in David Johnson, it was just an unbelievably bad trade. It's like you can't even justify that you got David Johnson because it was clearly a contract dump on the Cardinals side. I mean, they would have given him, yeah, they just gave him, they gave him away for free, basically. In that sense, it would have made sense to give the Texans a first, obviously, because DeAndre Hopkins is that caliber, and also to like, hey. You're taking on the contract of a running back we don't want. We're going to cut him anyways. So here's a first to take on that contract. That Bill O'Brien didn't work out getting a first-round pick or in any way with that trade. It just it had to start unravel from there. The team sees you trade your star player. The season starts off. Deshaun Watson doesn't have good chemistry with people. And then you have this clash with J.J. Watt happens. And the rest is history. J.J. Watt sort of got like a player revolt going. And he had to go. You can't lose the locker room like that. Yeah, I, I think at some point here, uh, this was going to come to a head in Houston, and, and this was ultimately um, going to happen, you know? And in the aftermath of it, I saw the Houston Chronicle, uh, I think it's John McCain. That sounds right, yeah, I think he's the Texan. Of the, yeah, of the Houston Chronicle. Um, he put out a, a little piece of information where he shared that in the second year of O'Brien's tenure, which would have been, I believe, 2015, the owner, the Texans owner, which was uh, Bob McNair, the late Bob McNair, he acknowledged to the Houston Chronicle that, you know, coaches, and by coach here, I mean O'Brien, coaches' anger is going to be a problem at some point, and his temper could create problems here, and we're going to need to get a a handle on it at some point. Bill O'Brien, even at Penn State and New England and everywhere he's been, He's known as a very, um, we'll call it a, a fiery guy, very heated, very, you know, wears his emotions on his sleeve type guy. And going all the way back to 2015, like Houston saw this as a problem. You know, Houston, we have a problem, no pun intended. But 
they could just never really get a handle on it. And it sounds like from the outside looking in that his anger problems, that's the kind of thing, you know, like we say all the time on this show, like especially pertaining to the NFL, winning really cures everything. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, if you yell all the time and, and if you're, you know, you're always getting on your players and this and that, that's fine if you get it done on Sundays and if you win. And, and But, you know, Houston didn't. And, and, yeah, everybody likes to mention how they had the lead on back in January on the Chiefs or they have 24 nothing in the playoffs. And that's all I heard after he was fired is, imagine telling Bill O'Brien back then, you'll never win another game with, with Houston. Yeah, I mean, they, they had to get a handle on it, and they didn't. But to me, the more shocking thing is not that they didn't ever get a handle on his anger problems. It's that they gave him personnel power, and look what he did with it. You mentioned the Laramie Tunsil trade. He also acquired Kenny Stills. But yeah, it just... Clowney. He got rid of Clowney for a third-round pick. Clowney to Seattle, right? Mm-hmm. Was that when he went? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, I mean, just a lot of questionable decisions there. And to me, the big thing about this is you don't want to waste quality years with a young quarterback and they're doing that unfortunately to Deshaun Watson right now this is a wasted year for him and even if they go 3-13 and 13, or if they go even work their way all, up all the way to 6-10 and 10, whatever it is it's a wasted year for him and that's frustrating you know so they got to get on track this upcoming offseason leading into next year of note on this and then we're going to move on to some other things within the NFL Romeo Cornell uh, becomes the interim head coach, 73 years old. At one point here, a few shows back, we talked about the oldest coaches. I think he becomes the oldest coach in league history. To record a win, yeah. Is that? Okay, right. So, yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> that's crazy. But, hey, 2020 is uh, the year of surprises for sure. Yeah, he, he coached the Chiefs, I believe, one year a long time ago. And then since then, he's been a defensive coordinator, I think, for the Texans the entire time since, pretty much. And yeah, he gets another opportunity at it, led the team to a win. It's going to be an attractive job, for sure, with Deshaun Watson there. Bill O'Brien probably gets another opportunity. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets another opportunity in the NFL. He seems kind of like a Doug Marone kind of guy, like kind of hard to deal with, but he gets the team ready most of the time until, it, until his attitude just wears on people for too long. But yeah, well, he'll probably get another shot. The other head coaching change that has happened, this was after the week five loss. The Falcons are winless, and they are now, well, now they have an interim coach, but no GM. The GM is fired. Dimitrov is out. Dan Quinn, the head coach, is out. This is probably a move they should have made last year when I believe they were started the year one and seven and then kind of finished strong. Probably could have ended it there, got a good head coach this offseason, start rebuilding your culture, but now Arthur Blank, the owner, is saying, well, people are asking him, like, well, how do you like Matt Ryan? How do you think about his future? He's like, well, I like Matt Ryan a lot. I like Matt Ryan as much as I like the guys that I just fired. So it'll be somebody else's decision whether we keep him or not. So I see Kyle Shanahan going hard for Matt Ryan. I don't know if they trade for him this year or next year, but Matt Ryan's probably done with the Falcons. He was Thomas Dimitrov's first pick. This story's been kind of, it feels like forever ago. This story began the year after the whole Michael Vick thing happened. Their head coach quit on the team like mid-season. He left a note in the locker room and like walked out. So the next year they bring in Mike Smith. Oh yeah, 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 so Mike they, Smith. They brought and in, was, and then he was with Tampa Bay after that. Yeah. So they brought in Mike Smith and Thomas Dimitrov together. Their first pick, I think fifth or seventh overall, somewhere around there. He went before Flacco. Matt Ryan comes out of Boston to Atlanta. Fun fact about Matt Ryan, he was the pick before Darren McFadden. 
Number three, Matt Ryan. Number four, Darren McFadden. <laughs> That's right. You're right. He, he was he was picked higher than that. He was number three, Falcons third overall, and then McFadden went next. McFadden had some okay years, but yeah, it would have been. Oh, dude, I was a huge Darren McFadden fan. It would have been nice to have a franchise quarterback. We'll talk later if we got one now or not, because of course the Raiders and Chiefs game is a, a hot topic. It's fun watching the NFL Network when the Raiders beat somebody like high profile. Because same thing after the Saints, they were talking about the Raiders all week, but. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. The Falcons have a lot to work on. I don't even know who the head coaching candidates this next year is going to be. I'd be surprised. Usually the guy that gets the interim job doesn't get the head coaching job, so it'd be surprising to see Raheem Morris, former head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He is now the interim head coach of the Falcons. Maybe he'll get a second shot at head coaching again next year with the Falcons, but this will probably go to some high-profile college coach or something that can develop quarterbacks. If they have the number one overall pick, you know for sure Matt Ryan's time is done there bring in somebody new along with Trevor Lawrence. So yeah, it's a fight for the number one overall pick and Trevor. It's a race to the bottom between the two New York teams and the Falcons right now. It's the winless teams. So we'll see who ends up with Lawrence. All three of them seemingly have franchise quarterbacks. Matt Ryan, of course, the oldest on his third or, on his third contract, I believe, 35 years old. We talked about it earlier with LeBron. Everyone ages differently. Aaron Rodgers looks great at 38. Tom Brady doesn't look great at 43, so... Who knows where Matt Ryan's going to be next year, but I imagine the 49ers get a reunion with him and Kyle Shanahan, move on from Jimmy G. Yeah, I'm going to get to uh, the Niners in a second and Jimmy G, but real quick on the Falcons. Obviously, Dan Quinn had to go. To me, after the Dallas loss, that's a quick trigger. That's a short leash. That Dallas loss with that onside kick was just unfathomable. And, and I, I, for me, I could have fired him then. I could have got rid of him then. So Dan Quinn had to go. The part about this, though, that is interesting to me is the fact that Thomas Dimitrov gets caught up in this. You mentioned it. He's been there since 2008. That's 12 years. That, to me, signals that big changes are coming. Big, big changes. And I've been doing some uh, over on NFLanalysis.net. We've been focusing on a lot of uh, trade deadline content, the NFL trade deadline is November 3rd, and uh, we've been doing some deadline stuff about who could possibly be moved, and I made a case for moving separately, moving Matt Ryan and possibly moving Julio Jones, because to me, when you, like, for example, when the Raiders got rid of Reggie McKenzie, that did not bode well for the people who were quote-unquote Reggie McKenzie's guys. I mean, we've seen it. John Gruden came in. He got rid of Cleo Mack. He got rid of Amari Cooper. I personally thought he would get rid of Derek Carr, but Derek Carr is still there. And so typically when the GM goes, big changes are on the way. Yes, I'm not trying to minimize the, the impact of getting rid of a head coach. I just think getting rid of the GM is arguably a bigger statement than even the head coach. So, yeah, to me, this is probably Matt Ryan's last year in Atlanta. Julio Jones, you can make a case for it. I, I did in one of the stories I wrote, um, but Julio Jones is just 31. Matt Ryan's 35. And in the NFL, there's a big difference between 31 and 35. So I think, yeah, I think you have to get rid of Matt Ryan next year. Obviously, as you said, JC, the um, grand prize, if you will, is Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence will go number one overall. Let's just say that with absolute certainty because I, I think that's the safest bet in all the sports. But even if they don't land Trevor Lawrence, I think the fact that Dimitrov is gone, uh, doesn't bode well for, for Matt Ryan at all in Atlanta. Now, as it pertains to the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan, 
we spoke about this before we jumped on air, but just on the record for the show here, for the people listening, let's throw our opinions out there. We're recording this on Wednesday, October 14th. I had on uh, NFL Network this morning as I was doing my work, and I believe it was Peter Schrager brought up the possibility of trading Jimmy Garoppolo to Atlanta for Matt Ryan. And Schrager threw in uh, what I believe was a first-round pick heading back to Atlanta. I believe that's what he said, but but regardless, a, a first-round pick would not change hands in this deal. Let, we could just get that out of the way right now. What are your thoughts on a possible deal that would send Matt Ryan to Santa Clara? Obviously, the big connection there is Kyle Shanahan and his uh, his Falcons pass. What are your thoughts on this? And then I'll jump in with mine. We were talking about this on, on who would package the pick to do the contract dump and thinking about it, this is, you got to wonder who is really doing the contract dump in this situation. Atlanta can move forward with Julio Jones and Matt Ryan on their current deals and be kind of strapped salary cap wise because they got so much on two players. But I really think the contract dump here would be the Niners. I think the Niners would give up the pick with Jimmy G to get Ryan. And then I think I think a first is too high. The Niners have traded first lately in the last few years, but it would have to be it would have to be more than Matt Ryan to do a contract jump dump on Jimmy G. So maybe give give them a second and Jimmy G for the contract dump, and then get Matt Ryan. And then you got Matt Ryan on a he just signed that deal like last year, so he's under contract for like three more years. You almost won a Super Bowl together, Jimmy G. I mean, maybe it's his ankle, maybe he's not good. It's hard to tell. But yeah, I think I think that makes the most sense. That reunion is probably going to happen. I'd, I'd like to see it happen this year. I mean, why not? I mean, the, the Falcons are done. You you trade Matt Ryan, you increase your chances for Trevor Lawrence, really. And then the Niners get the quarterback of their future, and then move on from Jimmy G, who has. I mean, re- that contract Jimmy G signed was years ago, so it's not horrible now, but he's overpaid probably. I agree, and I'm uh, I'm glad you brought up his contract uh, as far as Jimmy G. The thing with Jimmy G is, like you mentioned, the ankle injury, and that's a real valid concern. But at the same time, to me, he makes reads and he makes throws that make me genuinely question, is this guy actually a good quarterback? And I don't think that can be blamed on an ankle. I think a lack of mobility, absolutely, the ankle affects that. An inability to to evade, you know, a, a, a rush off the edge, absolutely, the ankle is going to cause problems there. Throwing into into double coverage or making the wrong read and not seeing the safety uh, make make a break at the last second, that's not an ankle thing. And so, you know, they're they're all in on Jimmy G, right? Until they're not. And the same thing could be said for for the Vegas Raiders and Derek Carr. You're all in on Derek Carr until or unless you move on from him. Derek Carr played great against the Chiefs. Excellent win. Statement win by the Raiders. And that kind of win is something that Derek Carr can point to and say, hold, hold on a second. Stop the Trevor Lawrence to Vegas rumors. Stop all this. I'm right here. But at the same time, you know, like I said, Garoppolo does things that just, it makes you question what is he, his eyes? What is he seeing? What is he, what is he thinking there? And I just, yes, he's injury prone, but I think that's unrelated to the injuries. So to your point, I mean, if, if it just depends for the Niners, who's your guy? And if they think that, yeah, a 35, going to be 36-year-old Matt Ryan is the guy, you mentioned Tom Brady. Brady's 43. In that context alone, that would give Matt Ryan seven more years. I mean, so put it in that context, 
that's a solid move. And obviously, you know, most guys don't play till they're 43. Um, but Tom Brady's showing that if you take care of yourself and if you can stay healthy, it's doable. But, um, yeah, man, the Niners, they, they got a lot to figure out. And um, Matt Ryan, in my opinion, is, is coming to an end in Atlanta at some point, whether it's prior to the trade deadline, I'm not sure. But, you know, you made a great point. If you trade Matt Ryan now, this is what the – to sort of draw a parallel to baseball here. This is when the A's are bad. This is what the A's do. They trade off their good players, and in theory, they get a higher draft pick the next year. Baseball's a little different, but same yeah. same sentiment. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, if you're if you're Atlanta, I mean, why not, man? Why not go all in for for this number one pick? Trevor Lawrence is a is a transcendent type talent, and um, you know we thought the Bengals were high on Joe Burrow last year, and they were. Um, but this is even a, a step higher than that with Trevor Lawrence. So whoever gets that number one pick is going to be elated because, in theory, they'll have found you know their quarterback for the next 10, 12, 15 years. So, yeah, I think Atlanta's uh, certainly going to see big changes. And to me, it's the dismissal of Dimitrov and not even so much the dismissal of Dan Quinn um, that sort of signals that and sort of makes that obvious. They're going to have tough competition. I think it would be smart if you are trying to get the number one overall pick to get rid of Ryan now because you got the Jets. I mean, Adam Gaze is still trying to lose his job, it looks like. They got Sam Darnold, so if you keep Sam Darnold in the equation and remove Matt Ryan from it, I mean, Darnold's probably going to win one game, two games maybe. The Giants, I mean, then you just worry about how much are the Giants sold on Daniel Jones. One thing I think this would be fun to sort of uh, just quickly run through before we move on. So to me... If we're talking about the Jets, and I like Sam Darnold. I've said this in the past. I, I still think Sam Darnold can be an effective NFL quarterback at some point. I think, unfortunately, the Jets are not the place for him. So if I'm, if the Jets get the number one pick, Trevor Lawrence is a Jet, and I don't think they think twice about it. Can the same thing – I'd love to hear your take. Can the same thing be said about the Giants? Because, to me, Daniel Jones has shown more in just a little over a season – than Sam Darnold has in two or three seasons. But again, we're talking about a guy here that seemingly every team would love to have in Trevor Lawrence. And so to me, it's a layup. If the Jets get the number one pick, Sam Darnold's days are done and are in the past there. Do you think the same could be said about the Giants? I, It probably could, but I, I'm not sure. I'll, I'll hear your take and then I'll give mine. It's not as bad as what the Cardinals did a few years ago with Josh Rosen to Kyler Murray. But I remember when that happened, I was thinking, like, how did the GM get to keep his fucking job? Like, you just hired a coach, you spent a t- first-round draft pick on a quarterback, and then one year later, you're, you're cleaning houses if it's everyone else's fault? I mean, I don't know how he got to keep his job. But if they get the number one overall pick and it's time to move on from Daniel Jones, I almost would fire the general manager. And if, I know that first-round pick on Daniel Jones is a few years old now, and it's not back-to-back years going quarterback-to-quarterback in first round, but... If you blew that Daniel Jones pick and you haven't really put much of a team together in any aspect since then, since you took on the job, I think you clean house. But then again, you got Joe Judge in his first year. It'd be a shame to hold that against him because he's got a horrible team around him. But I don't know. It's interesting. I don't I don't really believe in David Gettleman. Uh, and I don't think Daniel Jones was a good pick. He's he's made a lot of mistakes. I remember we were like just kind of lightly having that game on in the background and we seen a turnover happen. And I was like, was this Daniel Jones again? And then we watch the replay, and sure enough, he fumbles the ball again. He's just got so many turnovers, so many problems. So, like we said earlier, it's hard to build an offensive line. How, how much time are you going to give the guy? So I, I can't wait to see who has the number one world pick and who takes Lawrence. 
I think the Jets would be able to trade Darnold for a higher pick than the Giants would be able to. So the Jets could probably build faster if they got Lawrence because they, they'd have a second or third round pick for the Darnold trade. You might be able to get a fourth round pick for Daniel Jones. That's really funny, dude. I was As you were talking, I was just about to say, but that, that makes it very clear. I was just about to ask you, do you think Daniel Jones is worth a first round pick? No, no way. No, no one would do that. And then you come through with this third or fourth round uh, day two, arguably day three pick in the draft. It might be like a swap. Like you want to move up from the sixth and take our fourth. We'll swap our fourth and sixth and we'll take on Daniel Jones' contract. <laughs> we'll give you a sixth, but you got to give us a seventh back. <laughs> yeah. He looks awful, man. It's, it's, I mean, he's held only had like a few games, maybe a few moments where all of his offensive weapons are out there at the same time. I think it was that Saquon Barkley game where he had all of his receivers, his tight end, and Barkley on the field at the same time. And like two plays later, Barkley tears his ACL. So it hasn't been easy. But you know when you see elite quarterbacks like that, and it's like you see Joe Burrow out there with not a lot of weapons either, and he just makes plays, he makes it happen. Like good quarterbacks just put the team on their back and make it happen. And this guy, he's like just definitely below average. He's not going to carry his team. If you put a good team around him, maybe he can make it in the playoffs and do some damage. But if it's up to him in fourth quarter, you're down six, you need a touchdown. Daniel Jones is not getting you down the field as, as far as what I've seen of him now. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, based off of uh, recent performances, I think that's that's definitely fair. So the only other headline really to get into before we can talk about some games that have happened that maybe caught our eye, probably some stuff to talk about, of course, with the Raiders and Chiefs and Brady not shaking Nick Foles' hands. But of course, the most important thing to get to next is the horrible Dak Prescott injury. And I'm not a Cowboys fan. And right before this injury happened, I was like laughing. I was like, man, this is gonna be so hilarious if they lose to the Giants. Like this is gonna be fun to watch. And all the headlines and talk afterwards. And then, uh, yeah, he's scrambling. He goes down. The camera, I don't even think the camera's on his ankle yet. Because I would have seen it immediately. So the camera's on him. He's holding his calf. And then Tony Romo's like, oh, I hope it's a crazy day. Because Tony Romo's on the broadcast also. The guy that lost his job to Dak. But he's like, you gotta hope it's just a hamstring. And then the camera zooms out enough or pans down enough to where you see his ankle. And me and TJ are watching this live on Red Zone. I'm like, oh my god, it's broken. And then if you see it as I see it, his ankle's not bending the right way. And then they show the replay, and then it's just, it's obvious. We're hoping maybe it's just dislocated or something. And then you see the replay and how the knee lands on the ankle and it just snaps. And then it's like, oh my god, no, dude, it's broken. And Scott Hansen, his voice starts getting shaky. You can tell if the camera was on him, his eyes were going to be tearing up and stuff. I mean, it's just a horrible situation for a good guy. And like I said, I don't root for the Cowboys. I had I would had fun watching them lose uh, the games that they lost this year because they're just one of those headline teams and Jerry Jones acts like a fucking maniac sometimes. So it's it's fun for the headlines and the entertainment of that and everything. But seeing a quarterback go down, seeing anybody go down with an injury like that on the franchise tag is just heartbreaking. And especially a guy that deserves millions of more dollars than he got. Yeah, man, I agree. And it was um, it looked very similar. I, I've I'll be honest here. I've tried not to read about it in the aftermath just because it's it's such a crushing injury and and I feel for Dak personally uh, even more so than than from a football standpoint but it looked very similar to uh, the injury that Gordon Hayward of the Boston Celtics uh, suffered in his first ever game in Boston uh, after he joined the Celtics from the Utah Jazz uh, Gordon Hayward I believe went up for a, a dunk or a layup and he landed and same type of thing. Essentially his knee went one way and the uh, front of his foot 
went the opposite way. And it was basically the, the same looking injury that, that Dak uh, suffered. And then after the game, uh, Gordon Hayward actually went on Twitter and he said, you know, I feel for you. And uh, if there's anything I can do or, you know, if you need someone to talk to, please don't hesitate to reach out. So a uh, good, good show of uh, sportsmanship there for sure. But yeah, this, this injury from a football standpoint uh, really pisses me off as far as it pertains to the franchise tag. We've said I've said it in the past, and I'm I'm pretty sure you're in agreement. I, I, you'll never hear me complain that a player makes too much money, or oh this guy's overpaid or that guy's overpaid. In a landscape where the owners are billionaires, um, and the players you know are not, and so I don't think even on the franchise tag of 31.4 million, I don't think Dak's overpaid, and certainly long term he's not overpaid because. He doesn't have a long-term contract. And these GMs, or in the case of the Dallas Cowboys, these owners, uh, they use the franchise tag as a weapon against players. And sure, I mean, look, is is nearly $32 million for 16 games, is that a lot of money? Absolutely. Is that life-changing money for many, many people? Sure. But in comparison to some of these other long-term contracts, I really hate how the Cowboys have, have treated Dak Prescott. I'm unwavering in that stance. I, my mind will not be changed on that. And it's just so crushing for him knowing how they treated him and then to have this happen. So, I mean, I do think he will return. I, I don't think it's a career-ending injury, especially after the really uh, incredible comeback of Alex Smith, which was even a worse injury than, than Dak suffered. So I do think Dak will be back. Um, but just the thought of even... You know, imagine that being a career ender. I mean, luckily, I, I don't think it will be. But if it would, you know, imagine the, the ramifications. It would just be horrible. It sounds like he's going to be okay. Yeah, he went straight to the hospital, had surgery that night. He's back at home now. Jerry Jones has commented about him being a part of the future and all this. So the only way to do that is sign him to an extension or franchise tag him again, which would be wild if you do that because the price goes up even more. I'm surprised when the CBA was negotiated that a second franchise tag was still even a possibility. I think it should just be one one time for one player, and you can't use it again on them. But yeah, so it seems like he's going to be fine, though. Um, it was a compound fracture, which is the, the worst kind, which is the bone popped out of the skin. But yeah, I don't think it's career-ending. He'll be back. I remember in the off-season when the negotiations kind of like leaked out that he was asking for $40 million. I was like, that's wild. Like, he's not worth $40 million. If I was building a team, I would not want to pay Dak $40 million. I didn't think he really proved a lot. He has a playoff win. I think that matches Romo's playoff wins the entire time he was there. So, I mean, he's, like, shown a lot of promise. He's definitely talented. He's definitely top 15. And now, at this point, with him entering a free agency or another franchise tag, I mean, if you think he's worth $40 million or not, he's going to get it somewhere. So the Cowboys really made it hard on themselves, but this injury maybe makes it negotiating kind of easy. I don't think he's going to take a hometown discount, though, especially with earlier in the year Jerry Jones was talking about how Dak missed a throw in like a game they lost and how Tony Romo could have made that throw. And it's like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? Yeah, that was the Seattle game. Yeah, so he missed a throw at the end of the Seattle game. He's like, I think Romo could have even made that throw. Jerry Jones is doing his like radio interview saying weird shit like that. So, yeah, it's... I don't think he's going to give a hometown discount, and I wouldn't be surprised if he goes somewhere else. So that's to be determined. I feel horrible for him. I would He was on pace to throw for like 6,000 yards because they had so much garbage time being down so regularly. The defense isn't playing well. 
now Andy Dalton, probably the best backup in the league, comes in, ready to rock. We'll see where they go. Um, the division is weak as fuck. They should. They ha- totally have a chance to win it against the the Washington Football Team, the Eagles. Uh, that's the other thing about this game too is the against the Giants that his only coach he's had before Mike McCarthy, Jason Garrett. Jason Garrett comes across the field, comes acro- in, across the field to check on his former quarterback Dak, and he slaps McCarthy on the back, and they realize the severity of the situation. So Romo's in the booth. Jason Garrett's coming over from the other side. It was just a horrible situation all around. You definitely feel for him. Um, I can't wait to see where he goes. He's getting paid. Uh, I imagine his ankle's going to be fine. Yeah, definitely, uh, like you said, just awful situation. Uh, you feel for Dak, um, but hopefully, you know, as, as are all indications as of now, hopefully he is uh, able to return at full strength. One thing I'd like to get your take on uh, while we're still on the NFL, and this could be brief or we could flesh this out however it ends up. I want to hear your take on this A.J. Green situation because it's all over Twitter. I had to even, I had to write about it in one of my stories. A.J. Green against Baltimore was pulled out of the game with what was deemed a hamstring injury, but he remained on the sideline. And when he was on the sideline, uh, the television broadcast cameras appeared to catch him saying what looks like, if you're not going to use me, then just trade me. Green is talking to somebody who's out of frame in the shot. And the, in particular, the last part of it, the, la- the, the part where he says, just trade me. I mean, I'm not an expert lip reader, but it seemed pretty clear that that's what he said. I just want to get your thoughts on this and... Because in some ways, Cincinnati's this up-and-coming team. You have Joe Burrow, you have T. Higgins, you have Joe Mixon, of course, and you have some building blocks there. But then you also have a guy like A.J. Green, who made the Pro Bowl every year from 2011 to 2017, who I don't know if he's demanding to get out, but it's a safe bet at this point to say he's definitely unhappy. So I'd just like to hear your thoughts on this. What do you think? I think they should trade him, uh, and I, I wrote as much on... NFLanalysis.net, but what are your thoughts on this and just sort of overall this bizarre situation in Cincinnati? Because you don't usually see this kind of stuff, especially with a guy who's been there for that long in A.J. Green. This is the first year without Andy Dalton as well because they got number one overall pick. Obviously, they're going to take Burroughs to the Andy Dalton walk. They came into the league together. It was first-round pick A.J. Green, second-round pick Andy Dalton, so... They might move on from both of them in the same year, just A.J. Green a little bit later. I was surprised when they franchise-tagged him, honestly. I thought they were going to let him hit free agency. And then they franchise-tagged him as if they had meaning or use for him, and then they just aren't using him. He's being outplayed by two other receivers on the team. Joe Burrow and him just don't seem like they're really connecting. It's It seems like, yeah, it seems like a trade is imminent. Um, it'll be even more telling if he's inactive in any of these next few games because of this quote-unquote hamstring. I think, yeah, I think they could get a trade. I, th- I think they could get a third-round, fourth-round pick for him. Easy. He hasn't been playing well. I mean, again, like I said, they franchise-tagged him. They, they would assume he's healthy. You would assume he had plans for him. And then if, if you can't incorporate him in your game plan or draw something up for him, if he can't separate or catch the ball, I mean, I haven't watched tons of Cincinnati film, but I know that he's dropping some balls. So, yeah, it's gonna, it'll be interesting to see where he goes. I imagine this will get done before the trade deadline. Yeah, I agree. I think he's uh, definitely one of the veterans that, that we could see moved at the trade deadline. And um, just sort of from a league perspective, it'd be interesting to see if in this bizarre, unusual year, if there's more activity at the trade deadline than there usually is. The NFL is not really known, as as you know, as we both know, 
uh, for a lot of in-season trades. Um, in baseball, every year there's a ton of in-season trades. Same thing could be said for the NBA, um, but it's a little bit more rare in the NFL. But I don't know, man. I, I kind of have a feeling that we could see some movement this year, especially as we said with Atlanta on some of these uh, losing teams. It wouldn't surprise me if, if they get a little uh, – there's a phrase every year. I think this year the phrase is tank for Trevor. Yeah. Yeah, so that wouldn't be too surprising. I see one person that didn't look good, but it was win never for Trevor. <laughs> so one thing that kind of stands out as we're talking about AJ Green kind of maybe wanting out or I mean I wouldn't say go as far as saying he's a toxic personality in the locker room but it kind of made me think about Earl Thomas and his toxic personality in the locker room Earl Thomas is still a free agent once upon a time all pro safety still looking for still waiting for someone to call the Texans did call when Bill O'Brien was there but I think a lot of COVID outbreaks were happening so they, the NFL said, don't bring anybody in right now while, while this is going on. So he's still waiting for a team. We had this Michael Thomas suspension because he punched a teammate and he's acting like a diva. And we both read an article in The Athletic talking about how the Saints usually keep things under wraps and they very much wanted to air their dirty laundry here by saying he's suspended for conduct detrimental to the team. He just signed a massive contract. I think he was the first one that wasn't a defensive end or a quarterback to sign a contract that got him $20 million a year. First receiver to get $20 million a year, then Amari Cooper got it shortly after. But signs this contract and then just starts acting. Just might be one of those things. He's got too much money in the bank now. He's got too big of a head. His ego's way out of whack. He kind of always acted like a diva, but not, not so much to this extent. So something's definitely going wrong there. And, of course, the other toxic personality that made me think of it in 2017, Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell combined for like a thousand yards each on the Steelers. 2018, Bell holds out. 2019, they move on to their respective teams, Raiders and Jets. We know what happened with Antonio Brown. He's still out of the league. He's a fucking lunatic, a toxic personality. And Le'Veon Bell now off the Jets. They cut him. Adam Gase, like I said, trying to lose his job. It seems remove as many weapons as he can. So that I don't know what he's doing, but they didn't get along. Bell's a free agent. With these toxic personalities, would you want any of these personalities? I mean, like an AJ Green's probably the lighter side of this spectrum, but if you're putting together a football team, do you do you want personalities like this? Obviously, Antonio Brown is like way off everybody's radar because he's suspended eight games. He's still got to that lawsuit thing going on. I think the judge is demanding he turns over text messages that he won't do. He's he's totally insane. So obviously, not including Antonio Brown, would you want any of these guys? That's a great question, and I mean, it, it leads down a, a really interesting road here. I think A.J. Green, yes, I would take a flyer on, uh, assuming he's healthy. A.J. Green has dealt with injuries. Lots. For, yeah, as you said, for many years, for many different injuries. Um, but if he's healthy, if he could stay on the field, and if you give him the football, Cincinnati, A.J. Green's a productive player. Mike Thomas, uh, you mentioned this, this story that we both read in The Athletic. As I was reading it, I was about four or five paragraphs in, and I was thinking as I was reading it, this has a very real possibility to turn into an Antonio Brown type saga. And I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling, I'm you know reading along, and sure enough, the writer made the same note and said, you know, we've seen just recently toxic personalities um, sort of become exiled out of the league. I mean, Mike Thomas is a is an incredible talent. I mean, his his Twitter handle is is can't guard Mike. I mean, so it that speaks to his self confidence and the kind of player that 
you know, he is on, on the field and the kind of player that he believes he can be. But I don't know, man. I think you don't need to look any further than Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown is an incredible athlete. I really think that putting the whole frozen feet thing aside and whatever the hell that was in Oakland. The helmet. The helmet, right. <laughs> I really think Antonio Brown could roll out of bed tomorrow and, and give you, you know, 12 catches for 105 yards. I think he's that kind of, he's just a talented person. He's incredibly talented. But nobody will touch the guy. Nobody will go near him, not for a, a, a veteran minimum deal, not for anything. And that's the only evidence that Mike Thomas should need to say, look, if the league as a whole, not just the Steelers, not just the Raiders, not just the Patriots, if the league as a whole, 32 teams, have sort of disregarded this guy, why do I think that I'm different? Yeah. And so Mike Thomas, you know, incredible talent. This is not the end. He's going to have more chances, as Antonio Brown did. But we've seen at some point these teams reach a point where they're like, I I can't deal with this guy anymore. Now let me move to Le'Veon Bell. I'm hesitant to call what Le'Veon Bell did in New York a money grab because, again, I just said in the context of Dak, always, man, I'm always in favor of these guys getting their money, especially in a sport as uh, violent as football. You got to get your money while you can. So shout out to Le'Veon Bell for really cashing in uh, from the Jets on that contract. But I do believe that Adam Gase has relationship problems with players. I do believe that players don't get along with him in certain scenarios. And I know for a fact that him and Le'Veon Bell didn't see eye to eye on certain things. So I would absolutely take a flyer on Le'Veon Bell because I think the Le'Veon Bell that the next team is going to get, whether it's Seattle, or I saw before we jumped on the air, Kansas City's is the favorite to sign him. You're going to get a motivated Le'Veon Bell that the Jets didn't have. And I think this this is me on the outside looking in. I don't have a source on this. I think part of the reason for that is there was a disrespect there for Adam Gase, as there arguably should have been. Yeah. And so I think Le'Veon Bell, uh, of the three you mentioned, is probably the best sort of bounce-back candidate. Uh, Mike Thomas, obviously, is going to get more chances. But he's got to get his stuff together there because the Saints at some point may be willing to make an example out of him. It wasn't like a trick question necessarily, but I think if Antonio Brown, the suspension is up and he acts halfway normal, most teams are going to consider signing him. I mean, I know the Raiders, there's no way Mike, Mike Mayock is going to consider it ever again or anything like that, but he's going to be on a team as soon as he shows that he's capable of put, getting his head on right and... Michael Thomas, he has a long way to go until he's there, in my opinion. I mean, it might be a fast, slippery slope once he starts going down that road. If he starts really being confrontational with Sean Payton and Drew Brees and get me the ball and or sort of that kind of stuff. But yeah, Le'Veon Bell, I mean, I don't know if he's a locker room killer yet, necessarily. The Jets is a tough situation. They're, they're a horrible place to be for some reason. And Gaze, it doesn't seem like people want to play for Gaze. There's a lot of, if there's rumors that the Chiefs are talking to Le'Veon Bell, then the Raiders have to sign him. I mean, honestly, if you're going to sign a a low veteran minimum contract because the Jets are paying you anyways. The Raiders have the best offensive line in the league. You want to get some stats up and show that you can still play play behind our offensive line. If he goes to the Chiefs, fuck, man, that's so many weapons. The Raiders just pulled it off once, but, I mean, it's going to be hard to do for anybody to do in the playoffs or later in the year when they really start grooving. Last thing to get into it, we could go over the games. It's a quarter. We're more than a quarter into the season now. The Raiders are 3-2. and two. 
we had talked about it last time we recorded. The Titans hadn't played a game. Their game got rescheduled. The Titans and Pittsburgh Steelers were given a bye week unexpectedly in week four. So they got a lot, a lot of games to play the rest of the year. The biggest thing to talk about, we had a lot of UFC to get into. I think we should do a supplemental episode about UFC recapping all the stuff there and then just wrap up on NFL today. Just the coronavirus stuff. I mean, we won't go over all the changes, but the Sunday morning the league puts out this memo that all these games are rescheduled. The Patriots and Broncos are now pushed to a, a week ahead. They were supposed to play this last Sunday. Now they're playing this Sunday, and then I think they were both given a, a new bye week. So tons of rescheduling. There's not much more room to reschedule. You think you think some teams? I don't. I I would say I want to know what you think, but I would say that some of these teams aren't going to play 16 games, and we're probably going to get an extra week. So, in that sense, only the number one seed in each conference gets a bye week now. And if that does happen, the number one seed gets a two week bye if extra games have to be played. So we finally saw the Titans play last night. What do you think? Can can these teams clamp up, or is the schedule just doomed to have an extra week? No, I, I agree, and uh, I think there's a chance that not all teams play all 16 games. We saw in Major League Baseball, I believe there was a few teams uh, that didn't get in a full season as well. Um, so there's some precedent there as far as uh, the pandemic's concerned. And yeah, uh, the league at some point, I mean, fans may or may not like to hear this. At some point, the NFL will institute an 18th week. Maybe I'm the first person to say it with certainty. I doubt it, obviously. You know, look, they're going to have to do an 18th week at some point. They're holding it off right now as sort of a quote-unquote last resort. It's something that they don't want to do for obvious reasons because an 18th week really sort of borders right up against the playoffs and it could logistically create problems. But yeah, man, like you pointed out, the major, major problem here, it was okay with Tennessee at first. Oh yeah, Tennessee, Pittsburgh will just sort of push you down the calendar a little bit. Once this starts to trip up teams who've already had their bye week, the league as a whole, their hands are tied. You have nowhere, there, there's no wiggle room in there. There's nowhere to go. So they are going to have to institute an 18th week. Am I getting ahead of myself by saying it wouldn't shock me if there's a 19th week? I don't know, man. Maybe you guys heard that here first. I don't know. That's way ahead of it. But the only reason I even bring that up is to say that the league has been, you know, they, they've strongly refused to do a bubble and they're opposed to it for a variety of reasons, but there are ramifications to, to playing in a pandemic. And these are some of, you know, what we're seeing with that. And I know everyone, there's probably a lot of different opinions on the having the first seed. Most people would agree that it's a benefit, but you've seen in the past, like the team that gets the bye week comes out for their first game of the playoffs, they come out flat and then afterwards they're like, uh, Maybe if we didn't have the bye week, we would have just kept our momentum going or been more in rhythm with each other rather than having all the time off. If there's an extra week and the first-seeded team gets two weeks, I would almost think that's a detriment. Obviously, everyone has the opportunity to get healthy with the way that IR works this year. That's two of the three weeks somebody could be on IR, so you could activate them back for playoffs just as you get started. But two weeks off without no playoff game, again, we said it last episode, that is what you do for the Super Bowl, but it's just... you're. You're preparing for one team for two weeks. For most of that buy in the playoffs, you wouldn't really know who your opponent is until the first round happens. So it's I can't wait to see how this is going to shake out. I, I anticipate an extra week, and I anticipate some teams don't get to 16 games either way. The Titans finally played, as we said. Another thing that's bothering me is just how villainized they're being treated. I mean, I guess they could have been smarter, but I believe the rule that was made that the teams can't gather on offsite 
locations to do practices like when they're shutting down facilities so people were like trying to like i think retroactively say they should be punished for that people executives were saying they should take draft picks i think taking a first round draft pick because of a covid outbreak is extreme but again i don't know if people were being dumb did it go to the strip club or something i don't know what they did did i don't know not wearing your mask who knows how this outbreak got so bad but i was looking at how the opt-out works i know we talked about this earlier in the year you could opt out and get like $250,000 if you have asthma or diabetes or these problems. Or you could opt out for $150,000 if you just don't want to expose your family to the high risk or risk of it. I wonder next year if, if more players opt out, if they even have the opt out option. If Maybe we'll just get to the point where we accept this is the world now. There's We live with COVID. This is how things are. There is no opt out. You either play your contract or you don't play. I wonder, yeah, it's, it's people are being really villainized. Do you see it? Is, like I see it. I really feel like the Titans were like the villains of the league the last few weeks. Yeah, a few things I want to touch on here. I'm glad you brought this up. In the early stages of this, I was in, in you know, people, you can go go check my Twitter. I was one of the people, I said, you, you need to punish this team. But I was careful not to specify how because that's way above my pay grade. And luckily for me, I don't have to decide how to punish them. I did think a punishment was warranted. You know, look, is it rude or is it insensitive to say that you should have made an example out of this team? Maybe. But I do think if the protocols were violated, and I want to specify that, if they were violated, you should have made an example out of this team. If they were not violated, and this was simply a stroke of bad luck, we know how incredibly contagious this virus is, then, you know, look, by all means... You give them a pass and you say, yeah, you know, we, we hope everybody's okay. Obviously, that goes without saying. You hope everybody recovers. But I did think early on this team should have been punished because it seemed like if you followed the rules that they had set in place, this type of thing shouldn't have happened. But Roger Goodell came out recently uh, and essentially, I believe he alluded to the fact that, you know, they, they tried to do things the right way, et cetera, et cetera. So there won't be a, a loss of draft picks as we know now, there will not be any uh, forfeiting of games. There may be a, a cash fine, something along those lines. But I did initially believe that they should have been punished. But I mean, again, the, the overarching theme here, this goes for me and you, you know, normal people. This goes for pro athletes. I believe that it, as long as you acknowledge that this virus is real and take precautions, people like us, you and I, are trying to do the best we can. And that's all you could do. Right, yeah, definitely. That's all you could do. So I've changed my stance a little bit, sort of uh, changed my point of view, and yeah, my initial line of thinking was a little bit harsh, um, and I, you know, I have no problem admitting that. One thing I want to throw into this because I think it relates to it. I saw Darius Slay, the uh, star cornerback for the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, former Detroit Lion. He came out recently and said that, in his opinion, there shouldn't have been an NFL season. Fans of, on Twitter, of course, were. <laughs> Quick to point out that, you know, the Eagles are well under 500, and oh well, if you thought that, you could have opted out, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, do, do you have any thoughts on that comment and sort of how it pertains to possibly not playing a full season of 16 games and just everything going on? Because it certainly caught my attention, especially because, to our knowledge, as far as we know, the Eagles, uh, Slay's team, they haven't had some sort of huge outbreak. If anything, I almost would have expected a Tennessee Titan to come out and say, hey, our, our building's infected, our staff's infected, our players are infected. 
maybe this wasn't a good idea. Yeah. But so to come from Philly, I would just be curious to hear your thoughts on that. Going back to the opt-out thing, I just it's a, a huge amount of money that's give up. I mean, Darius Slay, he's going to be making millions next year if he plays. So I still wouldn't expect him to opt out next year. But I was thinking just maybe some people would opt out more so than this year because of just the, the villain treatment of people not like... I mean, everyone's on the same page, it seems like, but if you're not like completely towing the line and... Like remember we talked about Kirk Cousins earlier in the year, just because he slightly said things in a way that could be offensive, people chose to be offended about it, and yeah, it's just, I, I just don't like the way the media is treating this whole situation. And again, going back to, you might have been wrong, you might have been right to say that the Titans should be punished. Again, it goes to, did they do something wrong? Were they reckless? Were they not wearing their masks somewhere the way they should have been wearing their masks? If they could figure out that they did something wrong, then yeah, they deserve a fine. Even if they didn't, like, absolutely fuck up if it was like incidental but they still could have done things a little better find them a little bit but yeah i thought the draft pick thing was just extreme if you're taking away first round draft picks but again if, if they agreed to something and they broke those rules then maybe it's warranted that's just the one thing that's unclear to us we have pictures that they did do an off-site workout when the facility was closed maybe it did spread further during that and it's just crazy i mean stefan gilmore headed to the patriots we've seen him go face to face with patrick mahomes after the game Patrick Mahomes is fine. They go on with their game the next week. It's just, it's such a weird virus how it seems like it's so easy to spread and then sometimes it just, it just doesn't spread. It's so bizarre. But yeah, I think, I think there will be a season going forward. Of course, the NFL wants to make their money. The fans are going to start getting back in the stands. I'd be surprised if star players opt out next year instead of playing to their contract's worth. But yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. But the schedules, yeah, like I said earlier, I think some teams aren't going to play those games and it's going to be interesting to see if it's a forfeit or a win percentage, how they go about it. We're going into week six of the season. Yeah, like we said, they can't reschedule much more. Bye weeks are happening now. There's, there's no more bye weeks for a lot of teams. I can't wait to see how it unfolds. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that this ended up being the, the thing we talked about last because it's, maybe it's because it's just ongoing and always alive as a headline. But yeah, it's affected the NFL season a lot. It at first when the Tennessee thing was happening, I was thinking it's just it's gonna get shut down. Like they're gonna have to pause the season at some point, and that might be what it comes to. That might be the way to get all 16 games going. Do week long bye weeks for all teams. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see where it goes. Yeah, man, I agree. Uh, this turned out to be an NFL only show mostly. I mean, we did touch on the, the Lakers and stuff and, and a couple other things, but you know, very NFL heavy. As we've said, football is our favorite sport. And uh, we, we love, you know, getting on here each week and sort of hashing out all these issues and, and giving a rundown of it. And we hope you guys enjoy it, too. All right, JC, so we're going to get up out of here. I just want to say once again for everybody listening, uh, we appreciate you guys listening. We appreciate you sticking with us. Uh, really means a lot. We have a really fun time, just a hell of a time doing this show. So it's a ton of fun. So just want to plug here. The show is on SoundCloud, uh, the TJ and JC show is on SoundCloud as well as Apple Podcasts, of course. And uh, as always, we are on Twitter at SportsTJJC. We've both been tweeting from that account lately. Yeah, man, hey, come get down with us on Twitter, man. Check us out on Twitter. We post gold, people. We post gold. We wouldn't lie to you. Definitely. So come check us out, SportsTJJC. You will not regret it. And uh, yeah, man, as always, thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody. We'll catch you next time. Take care.